All right, welcome back to episode 20, the big 2-0 here at uh, First Generation Bowhunter. I'm here with my good friend, Adam Bender. Adam and I actually have a, well, we have first name in common, okay? That, sure. That's one thing. Yep. <laughs> Adam, thanks for being with me. And I feel like I'm talking to myself for a second there. That was weird. But look, look at our screens. Look at the deer. It's pretty, I mean, this was not even planned, and I'm pretty impressed how this uh, framed up. It is odd. If you're just listening to this to the audio, you got to pop over to YouTube, check it out. And I'll, I'll post this on Instagram as well. But we, <laughs> we, we were laughing about this before, but we both have these really solid uh, deer mounted on our walls. Yep. Now switch your camera over. Cause I want to see the other one that you showed me earlier. Cause that one. Okay. See, that's, that's quite legit. A little bit more legit than mine. For everybody watching, this is my, my first buck. That was a rifle buck. That's not even bow. This one was from the 1960s. This is from my dad. And it's like my inspiration. This is good, man. I, I think this is going to be a great start. I was totally not surprised. We did not coordinate outfits. We did not coordinate wall hanging trophies. So, yep. Phenomenal. Adam, give us a background, man. You're a lifer. You're a lifetime hunter. Yep. Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, I, I started when I was real, real young. You know, I followed in my dad's footsteps and hunting just you know growing up as a rural kid in nebraska i mean this that's what you did yeah. um that's what your families did that's what your aunts uncles grandpas it's just what you did hunting fishing camping and um yeah i followed my dad ever since i was old enough i started you know probably when i was about three and i uh, would follow my dad with a little red rider bb gun as cliche as it sounds but that's what i had and you know we that the back then pheasant hunting was pretty big in nebraska and uh, I would follow my dad around, boy, any, any Tweety bird starling that we could see that would sit still long enough. He was, he was in trouble and he was going to get a BB thrown at him. Not a very good high hit ratio, but it was the thought that counted. And that's just my dad, you know, as, as a father now myself, like it's a, it's a very, very, um, had a huge impact on me because now I see how much extra time and effort and will my dad put into getting me out there. And involving me in everything that he did. I mean, I would be on the stairs dressed, ready to go when he would walk out of his bedroom. And uh, like, there was no way he was leaving the house without me. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent a lifer. And, you know, now I'm almost 37 and uh, same thing, you know, hunt, fish and camping. That's, that's all we do. And that's all my family does today. And for bow hunting, you go way back as well. I mean, at a very young age. Yep. So I, I started, shooting a bow very young i think i was seven or eight and uh just joined a little there was a saturday league at it was called platte valley archers it was a local club and went down there and they had a kid shoot every single saturday and that was how i kind of got started and then by the time i was 12 when i could legally hunt in nebraska with archery equipment um i had you know had my first tag and first first big game animal i took with a bow was a turkey when i was 12 uh with my dad and that just kind of changed everything for me and been a bow hunter ever since you feel like turkey is a good species for people to get started in bow hunting you know before getting like maybe bigger game what what, what species would you recommend i think it's kind of regionally right because i'm in the midwest and you know i know midwest turkey hunting is a lot different than western turkey hunting you know like i know friends that turkey hunt in utah and you know it's it's obviously a lot more challenging mountains terrain things like that uh, here, you know, population density is a little bit higher and, you know, you can utilize a little bit different tactics, sometimes more of like, let them come to you than versus spot and stock, especially when you add a bow into the element, when it comes to Western turkey hunting, you know, that's, that's challenging, like kudos to those guys who get that done. 
Um, but I think turkeys for me personally is a, is a great intro into bow hunting because you can take a lot of the factors out of it. You can set up a blind. Um, so basically you can conceal a ton of movement. Turkeys have incredible vision. You can be very comfortable. So you're not going to have to be setting up in a tree and things like that. You can sit in a nice, you know, reclining chair. Um, great, great, great opportunities for getting game in close. Um, and that's something that obviously hooks people, right? Because you, uh, I watch my kids' face when they just light up when a Tom starts gobbling and he comes in and he's, you know, sub 10 yards beating up the decoy. You know, that's just not an experience that you normally get. And that's something that as hunters we get. And that's why I think turkeys are a great way, very frustrating because they are, they are an exceptionally smart bird, even though they have a brain the size of a pea. Um, they are incredibly cunning and, uh, to get one with archery equipment is, is pretty special. And I think that's what really hooks people because it really is saying something to get a turkey with a bow. I know that's how it was for me. I, I got my first turkey at about 55 yards and I was walking along this trail. I had a turkey tag in my pocket. I was after deer. Turkeys were coming through and I was like, I'm going for it. And it was, whew, that was exhilarating. I haven't done the sit in a stand, wait for them to come in, yep. knock, knock out the decoy. But it was, like you said, it, it is exhilarating. It really propelled me forward of like a little bit of success. You know, deer, there's a lot less margin of error, I would say. Yep. Well, it's, maybe it's different margin of error. What, what do you think? I mean, I th there's similarities for sure. Um, target obviously is a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, got to be a lot more proficient. You have a lot less bigger, a uh, lot less size to the kill zone. Um, but I, yeah, I think you're right. You know, they, they usually travel in flocks and, uh, you know, you might get several, several shot opportunities. If you miss can happen, especially with a bow because they're so quiet these days, uh, shotgun, not so much. Um, but I've been with buddies, you know, missed a just high or whatever and grab another arrow and got them on the next one. So I think there's similarities there, um, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, you just can't beat the experience of getting close, um, whether that is spot and stock or inside of a blind, but shot opportunities are there and, and it's, you know, they're so vocal, right. And they're just, they, and I think that that's what really hooks people. What percentage do you do bow versus rifle now? So bow in Nebraska opens up before three weeks, but so we get three weeks of dedicated, nothing. You can only hunt them with a bow. So March 25th, all the way till April 15th, usually you can hunt with a bow. Um, so I'm bow only for those times. And I'm an opportunist, you know, type of guy, like I'm going to go for the bow first, but if he hangs up a ways out and I've got a shotgun, you know, we'll, we'll do that. But hands down, I prefer the bow for sure. Why is that? I, you know, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's something that you can only explain to a bow hunter. Like you, you either get it as a bow hunter because it's so hard to explain, but I, I just like the connection of getting close. Um, I look at it as bow hunting is a big chess game, right? And, you know, the wild is the chess board. And I look at, you got to be very calculated. And a lot of things have to go right in order for you to win. And I think that that's what makes bow hunting so much different, right? And, and, I, and I, I do the gamut, right? Even especially, you know, professionally what I do. I am, I am across the board. If it's legal means of hunting, I support it. But... Um, you know, there's, there's a big difference from seeing an elk at 800 yards and getting set up and dial on your scope and taking that animal perfectly legal, perfectly fine. I understand you got to be proficient at long range shooting. I get it, but there's a lot of a different emotions and things that happen when you call that bull in to eight yards. Um, 
And I think that until you experience that and until you experience that connection of having to get close and kind of, you know, playing to your strengths, the wind, your scent, all of those things, I think that is what draws people to bow hunting. Me personally, I just love the connection to getting close. I've loved archery ever since I started it. And I think that, I think that it's one of those things that it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't done it, but when you do it, that's when people will go, got it. I understand. Now we go through these different levels. I feel like in archery, because with that first time you pull that bow back and you hit the foam and you're like, Oh, that, that was cool. I like, guess a powerful thing, right? That arrow's flying. I'm dying different things in. I'm doing the site. Then maybe you do a 3d archery hunt. Yep. 3d archery hunts are actually incredibly fun. I, yep. I didn't think they were going to be that fun. I was kind of like, Oh, it's cool. Like walk around the woods. I, I mean, it was scratching those levels of an actual hunt for me. Yeah. Especially out where you're at, you know, the stuff they got now with the total archery challenge all across the U S you know, when those started, that was a brand new concept. They're like, Hey, we're going to fill a ski resort full of targets up on a mountain and, you know, just have a, basically a 3d shoot. Now look at it. Now they're all across the U S and it's attracting thousands of people because I think that to your point, you know, it, it's the, it's as close to the real thing as you can get. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's static targets, right. But your real shot scenarios, angles, wind, um, shooting across canyons, big vertical, big drops. Um, it really makes it as real as you can possibly get it. I've learned more at 3d hunts than I have in a very controlled environment in the backyard. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the thing I love about it to, to go off on this, I I'm doing total archery challenge, uh, park city coming up in June. It's going to be really, really, I mean, I've, I've done snow basin. I, I've done a few here in Utah. If you're attending, let me know, drop me a line. Um, Adam underscore Buchanan on Instagram. Let's connect, maybe hit, uh, I think about like 1130 morning, a uh, little kickoff there. But what's cool is you meet all these strangers, meet all these people who just have this common thread and you'll be taking shots and yeah, you're getting those angles. You get those things. You're like, wait a minute. I've, I've never shot at an angle before. I've never shot down. I've never, the learning closes so much. We talk about that a lot on the show is like, how is the fastest I can learn without spinning my wheels? And then two seasons later, I'm like, ah, I got to sell my bow. I, you know, I hate this. It's something I really try to help people avoid 3d. That's where it's at. Yeah. And I think, especially at those events, you know, there's so many people and everybody is so willing and accommodating to help. You know, it's a group setting. So you go up in groups of six or eight. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there will be guys and gals leaving the target that they just shot that you're now going to shoot. And if you're like, hey, you know, what'd you shoot it for? And they're like, you know, 56 yards and, you know, watch out. There's a wind down there that you can't really see, whatever. Those are all things that the archery community inherently helps people with. And I think that that's something really neat about 3D shoots that not a lot of people expect to get. I walked up and I didn't have filled points for some reason. <laughs> I, I walked up to the square and all the tents are up and everything. Yep. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I walk up to a tent. And I was like, uh, sorry, do you guys have any field points? Yeah, sure. Here's a handful. I mean, it just without hesitation. And I'm just like, thank you. Like, that was so, so helpful. You know, a little archery shop that set up a booth and it's an incredible community. So I feel like if people are, not getting those hunting experiences. Maybe they're not getting out. Maybe it's off season. 3D is just really, really phenomenal for that off season activity. Very much so. Like I said, it's as close. 
close to the real thing as you get. And it's as good as a practice as anybody can get is shooting at a, at a foam 3d target and really helps, you know, get the vitals marked on there. So it shows you where a good shot is versus a bad shot. And it really trains the trains, the mind and, you know, the mechanics of archery is what makes people successful. And I think that mentally shooting at a 3d target is way better than shooting at a, at a paper target. When we think about gear and you know, getting set up for, for the season, especially, I mean, just getting setting up in, in general, it's not like you have to rebuy gear every, every season. I mean, across from like, we could go off on bows and arrows and kind of those basics. Once people get past those basics and feel like, okay, I've got enough that I can actually go take an animal. What other gear would you recommend that has kind of helped you in bow hunting over the years? Yeah. I mean, without drilling down into, you know, anatomy of a bow and everything that goes into that. I mean, for me, it's gotta be optics. Optics to me are probably the most single important piece of gear that one can own, because if you can't see them, you know, what are you doing out there? Um, and I think that optics is a pretty, it's a pretty convoluted topic because there's a lot of opinions out there. Um, you know, you got to buy the $3,000 pair because it's not good as the $300 pair. And what I tell everybody is, you know, buy what you can afford and buy what you can afford and invest accordingly. Yes, there's different levels to optical clarity and sharpness and edge to edge color and things like that. But at the end of the day, buy what you can afford and strive, you know, to up your, just like you, you start out with a very entry level bow. Nobody goes out and buys a brand new too. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody, some people do. The vast majority of people start at an entry level and work their way up. And I would say that's the same for me with optics. And when I say optics, I'm talking not only binoculars, I'm talking spotting scope, uh, range finder. You know, those are all things that depending on where you are, what you're hunting and what your uh, situations are like, you may need, you may not need. Um, I think everybody's got to have a pair of binoculars, but as far as, you know, spotting scopes, things like that, Western hunting tendencies are going to obviously require that more than me in the Midwest when, you know, I'm sitting in a tree stand hunting whitetails don't necessarily need a spotting scope. Let's talk about magnifications for a second, it, it, you know, out West where I'm at, I shifted from a 10 by 42 over to a 12 by 50 yep. and it was kind of crazy because it's like, let's just say we're looking at bushes and rocks, right? Cause yep. that's, that's about 99% of what I'm, what Absolutely. I'm looking at. So I, I mean, going from a 10 by 42, it's like, oh, I can see the bushes and rocks 12 by 50. It's like, I can name them <laughs> and count them. It's that was a huge shift for me. Like, what would you recommend from a magnification standpoint, you know, maybe for a Western hunter and maybe a Midwest hunter, what, what would you start people on? I mean, I would say, you know, your, your 10 by 42s is your standard, most popular optic made. I mean, across the U S I would say there's more 10 by 42s than any other optic out there. However, when you get into things like Western hunting, uh, you do want that larger magnification because you are usually looking at further distances. So you'll get into your 12 and you maybe even get in your 15s. You know, 15s are going to be pretty big um, to handhold. Uh, that's going to be something more you're going to want to put on a tripod. And you'll notice a lot of people in the West now have switched to uh, 15 power binoculars that maybe there's even 18s now that they mount on a tripod and you can sit there and glass both eyes open. Very, very comfortable for long periods of time behind the glass. Um, I, I swear by 1042s just purely because good magnification, great field of view. Um, and I think that if you had to buy one, that's probably what I would buy. But again, um, that's going to be the most versatile, you know, when you do get in your more open country, your big 
Western settings, you hear for most things, but then, you know, call an elk in on the side of a mountain with a pair of 10 by or 12 by 42s, that's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of magnification in there and it will potentially, you know, cause you to miss some things that you might've seen with a little bit lower magnification. I think that answers a lot of questions too, especially if someone is just new to hunting, you know, yep. for, for me, I was, uh, I, I didn't really grow up rifle hunting. It came so much later. My dad was a, a big hunter, but it wasn't necessarily passed down to me as the youngest of six. And so all the magnifications, that's all new to me. Yeah. <laughs> hunting in general is just super, super new to me. And I think to uh, some of our listeners. So I, th I think that is helpful to kind of get people on a, kind of a starting place. Anything else you would add uh, around gear, anything where you're just like, you know, I started using this, it really was a helpful game changer, even like small things or oh, anything else come to mind? You know, there's so many things, but as I think back about things that really changed the game for me, um, you know, probably um, was, was the, the invention, the invention of the, the cell phone when it comes to things like, you know, um, Onyx and Basemap and a lot of these programs now that give you land ownership as well as topography, as well as state versus federal owned land, private property boundaries, uh, you know, national parks, et cetera. Um, that's been a pretty eye-opening thing for me. I remember when these started, I'm dating myself, but I remember when these were little tiny uh, SD cards or micro SDs that you had to plug into only certain uh, handheld GPS units like Garmin, Oregon, Colorado. I remember this and uh, it was kind of a, it was kind of a new concept. They're like, what? So you got to buy this, you got to buy this 600, $800 um, GPS unit. Then you got to buy these maps by state and then you plug it in. It was kind of like this mind blowing concept for Western hunting. And now, you know, with, with how big these things have become a part of our life. Now it's right there at the palm of your hand. You can, track game you can track your steps you can uh mark elevation i mean you can mark waypoints there is so much stuff available now i know it seems kind of crazy the the new thing uh that really helped me but boy if i'm being honest um that was really probably the one piece of gear that when these shifted to mobile and you can download them in you know apple or ios or uh, android that was really the moment that shifted for me like man now it's all available at the palm of your hand Oh, that's so true. I love Onyx. I use it as kind of like almost like a journal entry too. So when I'm going out, I'll even add notes on there of like a waypoint. Yep. I saw a sign or something, but I'll even throw time of day. I was there temperature. I probably three years ago, I really started geeking out on moon phase temperature, really watching that because again, I I'm coming from a place where we see these guys on Instagram who are out every day. They're these celebrity hunters and nothing against them. I think what they've done is great. And I fully, fully respect that. I cannot do that. I, I work a nine to five. I am not hunting full-time. I have to make the most use of my time. And so if I know that I can make a few, uh, you know, data-driven decisions or predictions based on the moon or temperature, I'm going to do it. I'm going to use that data. And Onyx has just been a phenomenal tool for that. That's, that's a great, sometimes I think when I think gear, I, you know me, I'm a gear guy. If you y'all been following me on Instagram, I'm, I love all my, my gadgets, but it's so true. I mean, to not have this other GPS brick in your pocket, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, you, 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 you comment on time, 
Uh, not everybody has the luxury of being out there. What that allows you to do is virtually, you know, go scout an area. Say, man, I've always wanted to go back into that canyon. I wonder what it looks like. And, you know, you can tilt, shift, 3D. You can tell elevation. I mean, it's amazing what you can cover on that, you know, on your phone as you, you know, sit on your couch watching TV. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's re definitely revolutionized the game and really advanced forward. A lot of people now, you know, there's, there's going to be critics of it. Sure. With everything, but I think overall it helps way more than it hurts. And I think that, uh, the, the helps that it can do, especially for somebody new, you know, that's trying to find a new area to hunt, they can go on that. And it's just like holding a, a world Atlas in your hand and it's all right there at your fingertips. And finding water. Big, big. Huge. Not as much of a problem for me being in uh, pre-flat Nebraska, but you, yes, very much. Gosh, and all the terrible moisture we've had and the amount of, oh, it's, it's a struggle here. Our lakes are struggling, snowpack, everything. Yeah, I, I wonder sometimes. And I hunt in very dry places, quite honestly, and so it puts – certain types of pressure on animals what would you recommend to somebody who can't find water i mean what what do you uh, advise them in that case well then i would say if you're not going to plan on you know finding water and filtering your own water on a hunt you need to make a plan to bring it in and that is either whether you bring it in in like your your platypus bags that you can put in your pack or if you're going to you know put a frame pack on and hike in a five gallons or something like that i mean you can't it's, it's, it's a basic fact. You can't live without water. And especially when you're exerting yourself that much, um, you got to have that hydration. So I would say if you can't find water, you pretty much have to be able to make a plan to either have access to water, plan ahead or plan your hunt accordingly. Maybe you're only going to day hunt and you are going to camp down low um, where there is access to water. But the game changes, you know, when you when you leave your water source, you, you better have a plan you can find yourself in a pretty rough situation if you don't kind of topography are you going to look for if you if you don't see like standing water for the animals to drink what would you recommend there but you know maybe people are spotting and they're like i know they're in there mm -hmm. but i need to figure out what draw to get into or what section to get into what, what would you advise in that case reading topography lines you know i mean it's 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 not rocket science, but it does take a little bit of a learning curve. Um, but if you can read topography lines and you can see as they get closer together or spread further out, you know, it's a really good indication of how steep or how not steep something is. And as you look at, you know, on something like Onyx or things like that, um, you can not necessarily pinpoint water by pinching and zooming down. But if you see a very lush green bottom and a bottom that is not in a, in a canyon that's not necessarily green and lush, Odds are there's some type of water source up there somewhere um, and it can really eliminate your, your search time. You know, it's, it'd be a lot better to have some, like you said, some waypoints marked that I think there could be water up there. And when you go on one of your scouting trips, you go up there and okay, there was water at this one, but these other two, there was not. So now I'm going to plan my hunt accordingly. Um, and that's why I say like the pre-scouting stuff of Onyx can, can really help out. Uh, that's, that's some good things to keep in mind. I, there, there's a lot there that I think just wasn't available to us in the past. And absolutely. what a cool tool that we have that we should absolutely be taking advantage of. Yep. Let's talk about deer encounters and maybe some memories that you've had of 
how you got in there. And, and we talk about this too. There's massive difference between being proficient in shooting a bow and hunting. And we're converging those two things. And that, that was something for me. I spent all this time shooting a bow and I was really good at it. And I'm getting these good groups and I'm, oh, look at me. I can, and I get out there and I, I don't know how to hunt. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about maybe a memorable hunt that you had of, you know, getting close, what went well. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think back and it's cliche, right? But the most memorable hunt for me when it comes to bow was my first year. Um, I know that would be the one most people would probably say, but for me, it was the first time that I hunted without my dad. My dad and I usually sat, and then this is in Nebraska, so we were in a double set, two guys up in a tree stand. And, uh, and this was the first time, first night ever, I told dad, I'm like, I want to do it by myself. I want to go by myself and, you know, whatever. And he trusted me, and um, I was 14 when I got my first year. And uh, never forget it. Um, you know, sitting there, typical 14 year old kid. Now this is before cell phones and things like that. So you're just sitting there with you and your thoughts and I'm getting pretty antsy and, you know, it's like, all right, well, it's time to go almost. And, uh, you know, legally can hunt 30 minutes after sunset and, uh, just getting ready to go. And I'm ready to call it early. I'm frustrated, like, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden I, you know, I could hear that and I started hearing some steps and I'm like, man, where, where is it? And I'm looking around and Sure enough, little four by four buck comes walking down on the trail, just like he's supposed to. And, uh, you know, looking back, it was just like, I went in the autopilot. Like I had, I got done it my whole life. And, uh, when I really hadn't, I'd never shot at a live deer before and deer walks in front of the stands. I think it was like 14 yards, something like that. And, uh, shot. And admittedly, I did not make a good shot. Um, I hit him too far forward um and uh buck runs off jumps and i seen blood right away and um you know i'm freaking out you know that that adrenaline dump everything and like i can't tell my dad because i can't call my dad he's not with me whatever so it's just kind of me and myself and uh you know fast forward it gets real dark and i see a headlight coming through the trees and it's my dad coming to get me and uh I, you know he walks up to stand i'm like i got him i'm like I, I shot him but i didn't make a good shot and it was actually a very humbling experience because I didn't make a good shot. Um, and just, you know, buck fever, call it what it is. You know, I just got nervous and didn't execute and follow through probably the way I should have, uh, searched and searched and searched and searched. And we were down on a, on a Creek and, uh, or Creek Midwest, we say Creek. Um, and, uh, we walked and walked and walked blood kind of ran out. And now, you know, 14 year old kid, I'm pretty discouraged and I'm upset and my dad's trying to keep my head in. And he's like, you know, don't worry, we'll find him blah, 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 blah. And I just, uh, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. I just stopped and I put my stuff down and I just said a quick prayer and, uh, literally not, not kidding. 45 seconds later, my dad goes, Hey, and I can see his headlight up there about 20, 30 yards. He goes, come here. And I walk up there and sure enough, he points his headlight down in the Creek and the buck had jumped down in the Creek and, uh, and that's where he expired. It was just, uh, you know, I think nobody ever forgets the first, you know, it's a, it's a pretty neat, um, you know, taking an animal's life is not something that is to be um, joyful about. Uh, but the sense of accomplishment is pretty big. And for being a 14 year old kid, I just, uh, you know, walking into school the next day, I thought I was big man on campus. And even though this buck was pretty tiny, but just to do it with my bow, um, was, was pretty, pretty special. That's, that's so interesting too, just what kind of culture we're in now of, 
could you even imagine? I mean, well, maybe, well, that's a silly question because maybe you can, you know, in your region, but man, in our region, I'm thinking a dad drops his kid off <laughs> by yeah. himself, yep. no cell phone service. No, well, no cell phone. Maybe you had service and it's like, good luck. Hey, you know, sh- you know, legal light shoots 30 minutes after sunset. And I mean, what, uh, what a time shift in such a short amount of time too. I mean, 20 years later and here we are and it's now we've got kindles and ipads in the tree stand and the kids like playing candy crush and minecraft and it's like and again whatever gets them out and i have to do that with my kids sometimes and i brought out the kindles and and i'm i'm okay with that but just standing back and thinking gosh what a world we were in back then yep yeah and this would have been 19 this would have been 1999 Uh, i would have been 14 and uh yeah, you know, I didn't get my first cell phone until I was a senior in high school. So, um, yeah, pretty big, pretty big mind shift. And, you know, I, I learned a lot from that hunt. And as you know, I know you asked for learnings and on that one, obviously it was all about shot placement. Probably the one of the biggest learning lessons I ever had though, when I lived in Wyoming, um, I was hunting high country mule deer and I was with a buddy and this was new to me cause I'm from Nebraska. Right. Um, I had no idea of this concept of hiking up to 11, 12,000 feet on a barren, you know, rock scree face and hunting mule deer. But sure enough, I, I lived in Wyoming and I, um, signed up for it. So I went up with my buddy and a, I was extremely out of shape, um, was not in shape to be doing what I did, but I did. But, uh, the concept of what I used to do with turkey or turkey hunting and deer hunting, kind of waiting for them to come to me versus now me taking it to them with spot and stock hunting was just completely foreign. And I'll never forget it. I didn't, I wasn't be able to hunt. Uh, it was my friend, his name was Chuck. And uh, I'll just never forget sitting on this exposed face up on this mountain, really, really high. And there's these mule deer down below us a couple hundred yards and we're glassing with spotting scopes and this buck beds down. And he's like, all right, I'll see you in a little bit. And I'm like, what's he going to do? And I kid you not. He left my side and hiked down there. And at one point he took off his boots and then he hiked a little further. And then he, I think he dropped, uh, he had like a day pack. He dropped his day pack and then went a little further and then finally got in close and then just Chuck disappeared. And I'm like, well, but I could still see the deer and, uh, four hours go by of just sitting there. And I'm wondering, what's he going to do? When's he going to shoot him? Whatever. And, uh, that, for me, it was very, very interesting because I realized the different methods of take and what I had been used to versus now on a spot and stock on a, on a bedded buck. And, you know, eventually uh, the buck gets up to stretch. Um, Chuck shoots, makes a great shot. You know, and I watched the buck bound down the mountain and rolls up, piles up. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. And, you know, then the work sets in, you know, it's not, it's not call your dad and have him come pick you up and back the four-wheeler up. It's like, now we got to hike down there, quarter this thing out, pack it out. Anyways, it turned into a big, long day, but, uh, the concept of me watching a spot and stock mule deer hunt, you know, high country, nonetheless, was completely mind blowing to me. And, uh, just sitting up there all by myself on this exposed hill, I was trying to find shade. It was so hot and I'm drinking all my water. Um, and just watching him. It was, it was really incredible. And like that for me, um, gave me a whole new appreciation for these, for these guys and gals that go out and consistently, you know, put their tags on big mule deer up in the mountains. Cause it's hard. And, uh, all the odds are pretty much stacked against you. And to, to see these people that have consistent success doing it, man, like kudos. Absolutely. And, you know, taking the shoes off, it's funny. We talk about, you know, footwear and 
yeah what what brand and what this and that and it's like <laughs> the last last 50 yards or so you're just taking them off anyway <laughs> right correct uh, uh no i mean that's obviously you know to and, and sometimes people talk more about their socks you know how thick they are to to make those soft steps it's it's, it's pretty interesting I, I love that you shared that because there is a lot to derive out there of so it sounds like what you're learning is just, there's so many different methods. I mean, did that kind of open it up for you of like, oh my gosh, there's a whole nother world of bow hunting. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I had grown up in the Midwest where it was sit and wait, not necessarily take it to them. Uh, usually topography is not very advantageous. You're not going to be able to walk down a creek in Nebraska and spot and stalk a deer. And if you can give me a call, cause I'd like to learn some lessons. Um, but you know, out West where country is a lot more big and expansive, that was just a whole new world for me. And I was like, man, bow hunting is so much more in depth than I thought it ever would have been. And uh, it was pretty neat to, to see somebody be successful like that. Uh, when for a second, uh, how has it been for you where, I mean, here these deer are, they have such incredible smell. Uh, what are some experiences you've had where maybe you've been winded or you've actually gotten in close and you had the wind in your favor? Yeah. Wind is everything. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about how smart deer are, but I think it's because of how good their noses are. Um, and I think that that is, uh, something that you only learn through experience. You know, you can play wind, uh, before you play anything else. Um, you know, your camo, your gear, none of that stuff really pales in comparison to playing the wind. Right. Um, if you're not playing the wind, right. It don't matter how good of a shot you are, how quiet of a stalker you are. It don't matter. You don't have to play the wind, right you're not going to find success. Um, wind is everything, especially when it comes to bow hunting. And that's like I talked about earlier, like shooting an elk at 800 yards. Wind plays a factor there for sure, but it's because yeah. of your aim and your bullet trajectory and things like that. But when you're bow hunting and you got to get close, wind is everything. How far would you say wind really does make an effect? I mean, you know, is it a hundred yards? It's got to play. Is it 200 yards? Like what is that kind of, um, fudge period where it's like hey it's going to get serious you you cannot mess around where it's gonna it's gonna fall apart sometimes wind can help you sometimes it can hurt you you know you get a big strong crosswind um deer can't you know smell as good depending on your approach um and then the noise factor of that louder wind can help you get closer uh, as far as picking a yardage i think it'd probably be pretty hard to do because it's so situational um you know the biggest things i would say you know is, is thermals and thermals is basically um, that temperature causes the, the therm, thermal climate to rise and fall. And I think that uh, you got to play those thermals right. And that's why you'll see a lot of people find a deer early in the morning, but that's when the thermals are sinking. Um, it's going to carry your scent right to them. So they'll wait until the thermals shift and that's when they'll make their stock. You know, it's like me, first 30 minutes growing up, first last 30 minutes growing up, that was the prime time to be hunting. And here we are sitting in, you know, the Bighorn Mountains of Wyoming at two o'clock in the afternoon. And now he's going to go make his stock. I'm like, what? You know, he can see it coming from a mile away. Uh, but again, he had to wait for the thermals to shift, to get the wind right in order to go make that stock. How do you know when the thermals are shifting? Usually a lot of people carry a, uh, you know, a little wind puffer um, or milk seed or something like that, just an identifier. Um, it's really driven by temperature. As the sun climbs up and, the, and it heats up, you know, basically hot air rises, right? So you're going to notice that the thermals will shift as the temperatures rise throughout the day. And when that heat is rising, that's better for you? 
Yep. Carrying the thermal, the thermals are rising. So the air and the wind that is down by the deer is rising up past them. Um, so coming down from above them would be what you'd want to do in the morning. If you were trying to spot and stock when thermals are falling, that's when you're going to want to come from the bottom, um, left or right approach is okay. But then that's where you got to play wind direction. So it's like, you got thermals, you got left, right, up, down. There's all these things that go into it. Uh, and people listening are probably like, what? I had no idea. Um, but yeah, there's a lot when it comes to wind, it is not just look at your phone and say, yep, it's going to be a West wind tomorrow. Uh, because up on the side of that mountain, it may not be west at all. You were just talking there. I was thinking of the Contra video game cheat oh, yeah. code. I was not a gamer, okay? I I, I didn't get allowed to play video games. Yep. I, was, I was too young. I was too small. But it what was it? Left, right, left, right, up, down, select, start, A, B. Yep, I think that's right. I'm messing it up, man. That's how bad I am at Contra. I, I was not proficient in that. But that's like what you're describing. It's like, um, yeah, super, super funny. Well, dude, that was, that was packed, man. You had such good things. I really appreciate you being here, Adam. Thank you so much. What's a good way to connect with you if people want to get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, I mean, we were talking for an hour. It went super fast and I would love to come back, talk more anytime, but, uh, usually social media, Instagram or Facebook, whatever, Adam at Adam J Bender. Um, that's my, my handle there and post a lot of stuff around my job and a lot of pictures of kids. Um, you know that I uh, keep like to keep the world update on my family, pretty big family guy. So that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time for those listening. This has been episode 20, the big two. Oh, I can't believe it. Gosh, this has been blown by. It's been a fast couple of weeks, but thank you for subscribing to first generation bow hunter. Please pass this along to fellow bow hunters who are just getting started. Have some fun and drop me a line or tag a hashtag first generation bow hunter. Tell us about what you're learning, what experiences you're having out in the field, and we will see you on the next episode.